Welcome to Greensburg Baptist Church. We welcome our church family and also our visiting friends. Thank you for coming to worship with us. To find out more about Greensburg Baptist Church, our upcoming events, and other church activities, visit our website anytime at greensburgbaptist.com. This morning as we come to partake of the Lord's Supper, I want to set before you the idea of getting right and staying right by partaking of the Lord's Supper. This morning as we listen, this is, um, as you come to this table, it's a, it's a significant, important time. And I want to present to you maybe two reasons why maybe you ought to even listen in to this message prior to coming to this table. One is from the past. From the years 1555 to 1558, it was the reign of Queen Bloody Mary. During this time, 288 Protestant reformers were burned at the stake. From archbishops to bishops to clergy to 55 women and even four children. Why? One central issue. The Lord's Supper. Listen to Charles, John Charles Ryle as he explains what was going on. The doctrine in question was the real presence of the body and the blood of Christ in the consecrated elements of bread and wine, the Lord's Supper. Did they or did they not believe that the body and, and blood of Christ were really, that is corporally, literally, locally, and materially present under the forms of bread and wine after the words of consecration were pronounced? So the question is, look what he says further, maybe this will help explain it. Did they or did they not believe that the real body of Christ, which was born of the Virgin Mary, was present on the so-called altar so soon as the mystical words had passed, had passed the lips of the priest? Did they or did they not? That was the simple question. If they did not believe and admit it, they were burned. The question is, is this really physically the body and blood of Christ? This is the battle that's taking place. The church here, Queen Mary, right, in the Roman Catholic Church is saying that Christ is literally present physically, right? He's being re-sacrificed. That's why when you see the images, you see Christ on the cross. He's continually being re-sacrificed. The reformers are saying, no, he was, according to Hebrews, sacrificed once and for all. So when we partake, it is a remembrance, it is a partaking, and in fact, what we will recognize, according to 1 Corinthians 10, for just a brief moment when we, we take a little excerpt in the message, is that we are participating in the body and blood of Christ. So there is something spiritual happening, and that spiritual is so significant that some believe, listen, that this today, what we do, was worth killing for, and others believed it was worth dying for. So there's a warning from the past, the seriousness about of which you are about to partake this morning. So not only from the past, I want to encourage you to listen, also from the present. Because here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul will finish by saying to them about those who partake of this supper in an unworthy manner. He says this statement. That is why many of you are weak, ill, and some have even died. Weak, ill, and some have even died. So I warn you this morning, I warn my own soul from not only the past, but also the present, that how we approach this table is extremely significant, even to your physical health. It's dangerous to take this lightly this morning. And so, again, this was a battle throughout history, but specifically in the time there of Bloody Mary and others as they reigned over, there was the battle. What was happening as we come to this table this morning as we come, listen, this statement, getting right and staying right, indicates that guess what? We're not right. And I want to encourage you, listen, as you hear me preach and teach the Word, constantly examine the Scriptures. 
I was listening to my sermon from last Sunday. Listen, I made three misstatements. One, I said there was a fifth servant song. In fact, in Isaiah, there's only four, and it was the final one. I misspoke. In Acts 16, I, I said the fact that, that Paul and Silas were beaten and stoned, but in fact, it was just they were beaten. And then when I referenced Rachel and Leah, I spoke of Leah as being the one that was, the Scripture says, beautiful, but in fact, it was Rachel. So I want you to know, even though these things don't change anything about the message, I want you to constantly listen. Be vigilant. I'm not perfect. Listen. But realize that what we are about to do today is of extreme importance to your own soul. So first, the Lord's Supper reminds us that we are not right. We are not right. Listen to what Paul says. Beginning in verse 17. But in the following instructions, 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the what? For the worse. Listen to what Paul says there. I do not commend you when you come together. And in fact, instead of being good, it's actually for the worst. Paul is saying to them, it almost been better if you guys stayed at home. Now, can you imagine that when he's talking to the church? That's how insignificant this is today. He's saying to the church, listen, guys, it's not good that you come together. Why, Paul? Well, how could this be that it's not good? Look what he says, verse 18. Paul is really, really clear often of telling you why. And he often does it with just a simple F-O-R. Three letters, one word, four. Here's why Paul says first off. Four, in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are what? Divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. What do these divisions look like, Paul? Look what he says, verse 20. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Paul says, you've so distorted what's supposed to be happening here. You're not even partaking of the Lord's Supper. This is, this is huge. Four, right? Hey, Paul, how could you say that? Look, he's telling you further. What this divisions look like. This is explained at verse 21. Four, he says, in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. So it's actually become about you rather than about the body of Christ. And for whom he died. Look, he says further. This is explaining these divisions. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. So typically what we understand from the New Testament church is that prior to partaking of the Lord's Supper, there would have been a larger fellowship meal. Okay? And you have to understand some about Rome and their rule, right? There wasn't a Sabbath as we recognize it, right? There wasn't a day off. Most people worked seven days, specifically the poor. So what often would happen is, is the church would come together to partake of the Lord's Supper. There would be a larger fellowship meal, but the richer people would get there usually first because they didn't have to work, have as many responsibilities. And guess what? They would show up with better food, right? And some would show up and they didn't have food at all. Or they might be segregated right to a separate spot, right, of house churches. And so the richer might get there early. They're gathered. They're partaking of the Lord's Supper. The poor come in later because they have different responsibilities. Not only do they have less food, they may be in a different part of the house. And Paul's saying there's divisions. In fact, some of you said have made it a party and you're just there getting drunk. Now we'd say, listen, how could this ever happen to church? Imagine this. Imagine right back when we had our family night meals that those who could came in with their bacon filleted, bacon wrapped fillets and ribs. And then the poor, maybe our kiddos that come off the bus, they walk in and all they have is a little candy and nabs. Now, part of that is you understand why the potluck meal happens like that, right? It's helping, right? Those who have more can help those who have less. And that way everyone eats and partakes at the same table, which is what this is signifying. We are made one in Christ. 
But let's be honest. Listen, when we think, I don't understand how this can happen, we've seen it happen to some extent in our own church. I mean, the reason why we don't have family night meals is because people quit showing up. And I, I get it. It's sometimes hard and chaotic over there, and there's lots of kids, and it's challenging. But we struggle to get people to show up to bring food and to sit and spend time with our kids. And I get it. Listen, it's probably calmer and easier to eat food in your own home. And most of you have plenty of food in your own home. But every kid in Greene County doesn't have that luxury. And so the kids continue to ask, when's family night coming back? So listen, beloved, we hear this this week. And I sit there and I was just praying over this passage. And the Spirit just began to bring this reality to me. Saying, listen, Blake, you guys got some struggles. Some of you are saying, Blake, you're being too rough. 2 Timothy 4, Paul tells Timothy, listen, there is time to correct, rebuke, and encourage as a shepherd. So, beloved, listen, I don't know if we need to go back to family night, but at the very least, some of us desperately need to repent. Because what we did over there doesn't signify what we're supposed to be doing in here, that we have become one. And Paul says it was a struggle in the early church too. And you say, well, why in the world was that happening? Look what he said back. It was interesting in verse 19. Paul says, I believe these divisions are actually happening in the church. How could you believe that, Paul? He says, verse 19, 4. He says, there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. He says the division of the church is showing who is a part and who is not. The Scriptures warn very critically about those who are divisive in the church. In fact, the Proverbs says it's one of the seven things that God hates. Those who sort discord among the church, the body of Christ. The New Testament tells us warn a divisive person once, warn them twice, and then block them. So we would say in our language, right? It's a serious warning that we should not take lightly. If you have division with others in this church body, you should not take that lightly. In fact, Paul is going to use that in a moment to warn you about the danger of coming to this table if you take that lightly. So let us be reminded this morning as we come to this table, it is a reminder that we are not right and we need to get right. Every single one of us. We need to get right. That's what he's going to show us here. How do we get right? It's by partaking of the Lord's Supper. Now listen, when I say that, it doesn't mean that the fact that you and I come and eat the bread and drink the cup, that means now that we're saved. That's not. No, no, no. But the bread and the cup that we now partake of reminds us of, in fact, our desperate need of the one who died to make that bread and cup possible. That it actually has some meaning. Why? Because it looks to the one who died on the cross for you. So as you partake today, it is about reminding yourself that there's no other way to get right other than the blood of Jesus Christ that will cleanse every stain. This is why we desperately need this table. So listen to what Paul says. Verse 23. It's almost like a Paul just jumps like out of this controversy he's been talking about and all of a sudden just starts a new topic. But I think what he's doing is intentional. I could be wrong in my interpretation here, but I, I believe that Paul's saying, listen, beloved, you want to know what will bring healing to your marriage? You know what will bring healing between parents and children, between you and other family members, you and others? You know what will bring healing to the church? You know what will bring unity Paul says, we must look unto Christ. Listen to what he says, verse 23, 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this statement, 
this is my body. That's the challenge, right? That's, that's what Protestants, Catholics, others are divided on, right? What exactly is he saying in the statement, this is my body, that, this, is, this is it, right? Is, is it really Christ's body? Are you really eating and drinking, right? Is Christ really present? This is a battle, right, over that simple statement there, this is my body. And then look what he says here, it's significant, which is for you. Right? And we need to ask the question there. When he says that this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me, who's the you? Because, right, I mean, he's citing Jesus there on the Last Supper that Thursday night, right? He's going to be betrayed later that night as he goes there to the garden and ultimately by Friday, by around 9 a.m., our estimates are, he's on the cross. So this is Thursday night. Jesus is telling this to the disciples. But look what Paul does. He takes this very statement and now says, Jesus is ultimately speaking not only about those in the room with him in the upper room, but the church. So let's ask this question today. I kind of pose three questions in the midst of this about getting right. Is One is, who should take communion? Who should come to this table today? Who should partake? Listen, let's try to answer that. Well, look what Paul does. Give some clarity. I think it's significant. Beginning in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you, notice what he says here, you come together. Verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together. Verse 20. When you come together, verse 33, so then, bright my brothers, when you come together, verse 34, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together. Five times in about 17, 18 verses, Paul is continually saying this one statement about the Lord's Supper. It is when we come together. Now we're going to try to hopefully help that help us give clarity about where we should do it, but let's answer this question of who should do it. So look what he says. Remember, this is my body given for you. Look what he says back in verse 18. I think it helps us, gives clarity. For, he says, in the first place, when you come together as what? As a church. So it's the church that is partaking of the Lord's table. In fact, he says that you and I assembling this morning on a Sunday morning is a reminder to us all that we are a part of the church. So if you are continually not gathering other believers, the New Testament says you're missing out on what the calling is as part of the church. It is those who gather together. And he says that represents, right? It's an identifying mark of the church. Bobby, Jame, Bobby Jameson in his book, Understand the Lord's Supper, provides maybe this helpful answer of, well, who is the church? He says it's gospel preaching that creates gospel people that participate in gospel ordinances, which would be baptism and the Lord's Supper, right? Baptism here, Lord's Supper here. Again, listen to that. As you think about what is the church, listen to this example. Gospel preaching that creates gospel people that participate in gospel ordinances. Why? Because baptism binds the one to the many, and the Lord's Supper binds many into one. Think about this example, right? i got these... Visuals here of Brad Hodges working out, right? These are different things. I love you, Hodges. I told him I had something for him today. Um, anyway, <laughs> I love you, Hodges. So listen, though. Listen, think about this, though. Example, right? So this individual here, right, accepts Christ as baptized. This one here accepts Christ, baptized. Accepts Christ, baptized. Accept Christ, baptized. Accept Christ, baptized. Well, what you start to notice is, even though it's an individual act, there starts to be some separation between them and the others. Do you see it? Guess what happens when we gather together now to partake of the Lord's Supper? It's not an individual act, but actually it's an act of the whole. Where we together, although our baptism was something we did, this is something now that we all do together to say we are one in Christ. We become one, right? And now, guess what? 
the partaking of this supper today, guess what? Separates those who are in Christ from those who are not. So it helps us understand who should take communion. Those who have repented of their sins, believed upon Christ, and followed Him in baptism. Do you see it? These things mark for us, right? So that would say to me, guess what? As much as I love my boys, and I know they would love to have some juice and some cup, right? Especially as long as some of my sermons go. It's not for them. Why? Because they've not yet come to making that public declaration by baptism of their repentance and faith. In the same way, listen, there are many, maybe you, of adults and youth that you haven't yet come to that place where you've repented and believed and made that public in baptism. This table, listen, by their own admission, it is for the church. And the church is for, according to the Scriptures, those whom Christ died and gave His own life and those who have confessed that. This leads us to the second question, right? Who, where should we take communion, right? Where should we do this at? Well, you've already heard a little bit of it. It's when you gather together, gather together. Why? Look what Paul says back in 1 Corinthians 10. Just rewind just a little bit, just for a moment. Verse, verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, this right here is huge, all right? So if you're thinking, dude, you're making way too much of this, listen to this. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in what? Blood of Christ. The bread that we break today, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Something is happening here more than physical partaking. There is a spiritual union that's happening. And Paul is going to warn, be careful if you take that lightly. As if you can live any way you want to out there and then come in here and do anything you want. Paul is warning because there is a participation in the body and the blood of Christ. But look what he says here again, answering this question, where should we take communion? Look what he says, verse 17. Because there is one bread, we who are many are what? One body. For, here's further, he further affirms it, for we all partake of the what? The one bread. So now it helps us give clarity that, listen, this isn't something we just do home alone or when I bump into another bunch of Christians, we do it. This is specifically for the church happening as we gather together. And what happens? What? The one bread that we partake indicates that although we are many, we have become one because of who? Christ! Now listen, this is a beautiful thing. This now brings ends, right? I mean, to, to racism and, and nationality and gender and wealth and all that. I mean, it doesn't mean those things don't exist, but they are lacking in significance compared to what He has done for us. He has made the many one! Could that be said of this church? Could that be said of you and your spouse? He's made the many one. So as we come together today as a church, right? It's happening within the local church. We're sharing this bread. Now listen, there are exceptions to that absolutely, right? Nursing home. Hospitals, shut-ins, right? There's those who, for whatever reason, right, because of physical conditions, they just cannot gather with us. And so, listen, we continue to take that. But for those who just refuse to come and gather with a local church, you're missing it. You're not a part of the one body. So you, listen, need to be a part of a local church somewhere. And it may not be this one, but you need to be one that's preaching and teaching God's Word. Loving the community, I hope and pray. The nation's. This brings a third question, right? Because listen, it's not only in us getting right. We want to make sure that we get it right. 
Right? I mean, this is us striving, saying, listen, we know that only Christ can, He's the only reason why we could ever get right, but we want to make sure when we partake of this to the best of our ability, according to the Scriptures, we get it right. So listen to what Paul says here. Verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 11. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, notice what he says here, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Further, verse 26. For as often... As you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The question is, how often should be often? What's Paul saying? We don't have a specific mandate in the New Testament. But listen to some scriptures, may they give a little bit of clarity to it. Just something for us to wrestle with this morning. Verse 42, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Right, 3,000 people have been saved. And listen to what it says. They devoted themselves, if you were the changers, this was the passage I shared from, to help people as they went out to church. They said, listen, here's four markers you can look for as you go out to a church. Right? You listen, changers, they may end up in a church they didn't necessarily like the style of music. Right? It may not be what they prefer. The preaching may not be what they're used to. Right? But still, you're looking for four markers quickly to say, is that a New Testament church? The apostles' teaching is the Word of God. Is it, is it proclaimed? You're looking for that. They're saying you're trying to find a church. Again, be careful looking just for style. It's dangerous. The fellowship. Is it church fellowshipping tonight? We're potentially hoping Sunday school classes will come together. Maybe you're not part of a class. Come join one of our groups tonight. To the breaking of bread, and there it is, and the prayers. So we have this statement, right, the breaking of bread, which is what's being dealt with here. The question is, right, this statement, the breaking of bread, is he talking about having just a meal together, or is he talking about the Lord's Supper? To be really honest, I am not certain. I think the answer could quite possibly be yes. If that is the case, then look what happens in places like Acts chapter 20, verse 7. This is significant. We're asking the question, How often, right? We're trying to get right with the Lord, but we need to get it right. This is our best attempt at that. Verse 7 of Acts chapter 20. On the first day of the week. What day is that? Sunday. When we were what? Gathered together. That's what the church does on Sunday. The first day of the week, the church gathers together. And watch what they gather together to do. To what? Come on, there's two of us. Oh, I don't know what I did there. To break bread. And the question is, is Paul saying there that on the first day of the week, on that Sunday morning, when they gather together, are they partaking the Lord's Supper? If so, then we possibly have New Testament precedent for doing it every single week. And so now you understand how some churches and denominations see that and say, we're doing it weekly. Others say, no, I'm not sure about that. Maybe, right, because there's no definitive statement, do it monthly. We do it here quarterly. Some do it yearly. Why? Because the Passover is celebrated once a year. Jesus instituted at the Passover meal, and so they'd say we're following as close as we can to that example. Here's what I would say, right? Just from time of study, prayer. This Lord's Supper is extremely important to our identity and our proclamation of who we are as one in Him. I think that as a church, we need to at least consider, as church, as leadership, are we doing it often enough? That's just my honest evaluation. And listen, I understand, okay, do I have an answer on that? No, I don't, because there's no New Testament example given. However, listen, I know that there's the the danger that some see in partaking the Lord's Supper too often, right? That you might become callous to it. You just come to this table, man, anytime. You don't think anything about it, just on and on. And I think there's extreme wisdom there, right? My assumption is that's why some churches specifically spread it out so much. 
But then I, th- I thought this. Might we ask the same question? Are we praying too much? Like, do we become callous because we pray too much? Are we singing too much? Because there's a danger in just singing songs to be singing. Are we giving too much? Like, should we not take the offering? Because it might just become like, oh, hat, just to throw it in. Right? So I think when we make those statements, we at least need to realize the lens at which we view other things. So again, I think as a church, it's just continually something. But again, the big answer is this. Why are we taking communion? Right? It is a reminder that it's the only way to get right. It's the only way to get right. So not only, listen, we realize that we take this table, are we not right? We realize the only way to get right is to come to Christ, to look to His sacrifice. He alone can purify us, right? Never could I take enough bread or drink, right, to make myself clean. It's the blood of Christ. So this act today is a moment reminding you that your faith in that baptismal waters at a church or in a creek somewhere, you're continuing to make that affirmation that what I affirm in the presence of those people continues to be true. I trust in Christ alone. All other ground is what? Sinking sand. You're making that affirmation today if you come to this table. You continue to make that. That you trust in Christ alone. But listen to Paul. He said, listen, beloved, it's not only about getting right. This is also about staying right. Listen to what he says here. Beginning of verse 27. This is challenge. You need to listen up. Perk your ears further. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread, or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be what? Guilty. Concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. All right, look further with me. Let a person, look what he says here, verse 28. Let a person examine himself or herself. Notice, notice the progression. Then, right, so it's something that happens prior to it's followed by the eating and the eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Paul, what are you saying here? What's Paul saying? Look what he says. Another four, right? He's helping you understand why he's saying this. He's giving you further clarity. Four, anyone who eats and drinks without what? Discerning. Now watch this. This is significant. The body eats and drinks judgment on himself or herself. So Paul's saying, listen, let's try to piece it together just for a moment and provide just a little bit of explanation. Paul says that it's possible to partake of this table today. The cup of the Lord, right, calls it the cup of blessing, right? There's different names that are used for it, right? You've heard maybe Eucharist, Holy Communion, Communion, right? I mean, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. You've heard, right, some of these are just different words that are drawn. Look what he says, though. Drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty. So how do I keep from being doing this in an unworthy manner? Look what he's going to say here. This unworthy manner is connected to examining ourselves. Well, what are we to examine, right? Like, what, what should I be examining? Like, everybody just, like, random stuff? I think Paul gives clarity. Look what he says. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body. Now, again, most likely, like many scriptures, there's division on exactly what he means. I think it's likely two things are implied, right? And I'm going to try to give my defense for why I believe that from the scriptures. Specifically, first and foremost, when he says without discerning the body, it's coming to this table and not recognizing what Christ has done on your behalf. It's coming to this table as if you've earned the right to come. None of us have earned that right. Now listen, some of you have been, look, you, you've read this all along and you think unworthy is like, well, I, I, man, I cussed a time or two or I wasn't as good or man, I had a bad thought. Or If that was the case, then no one could ever take of this table. Do you understand that? 
The only reason why you and I will ever be worthy to take this table is because the us who are unworthy have been made worthy by Him. So we come to this table ultimately by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. The same thing you affirmed at your baptism. Do you see it? But be careful today if you come and you don't recognize this body as if it means nothing. Or maybe by the very way that you are living outside these walls, you're denying this body. You're professing it with your lips, but your life holistically is living something completely otherwise. Paul says, if you do that, you bring judgment on yourself. Secondly, this statement, the body. I think because of context... We also are to examine something else or discern something else when we think about the body. It's the body as a church. Today, I want to ask you as you partake, come to this table, are you divided with other believers in this church? Are you divided with your spouse? Parents and children, right? I mean, we, we, you start to think about the breakdown of relationships specifically to the church body itself. As you think today about coming, are you divided with others? We're going to have a closing song in just a moment. Listen, I want to encourage you during that time. It may be wise for you to need to step out. You and a spouse. You may need to get somebody else. Maybe you got something against me. I've done something to wrong you. Or you're, you're, you're upset with me or Brother Todd. I'd encourage you, listen, during this moment, maybe you need to come. We just need to step outside just for a moment to get this right. You say, Blake, you're making too much, dude. You're making too much. Listen to what Paul says. That. That. This unworthy manner, this not examining, this failing to discern. Listen to what Paul says. That is why many of you are weak, ill, and some have what? He says, listen, the church has a responsibility to protect this table. But I want you to know there's one much greater. And it's the one who knows your heart. And Paul says, listen, if you just come haphazardly to this table, I want you to know that the one who sees your heart, who knows every motive, who sees every desire, he is looking. So this morning, it ought to humble every single one of us as we come. God, but the mercy and the grace of God fall on me. And God says, yes, now go and show that mercy and grace across the body of Christ. And come and partake of my Son. So as we close, as you think, Blake, there's a lot. Listen, just maybe just five things here. If that was a good application that I saw. Look up. Look up to God the Father. Realizing only Him, only Him could provide your means, your worthiness of coming. Look up to God that you need Him today. Look in. Ask God, search me and know me, God. See if there be any way in me that is not of you. And God, move me to repentance that I would turn from that. Some of you need to look back. Look back as we all of us look back to the cross. What Christ has done on behalf. He is the only one that can make you worthy today. This is it. The only way for you to be worthy is to look to the cross. As you take that cup, it's a moment of, of joyous celebration, even in our brokenness of our sin. Because Christ has overcome our sin and He has made us worthy. Fourthly, look around. Is there issues with you and other people in this body specifically? Right? Because the one who are many will be now made one by this one body. Paul says, are you examining the body? Are you one? Is there disunity? Maybe it's you and a spouse again. 
Fifthly and last, look forward. Why? Because Paul says, as long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until what? Until He comes again. Take this looking forward to the day when all things will be made new and right because of Jesus Christ. This morning we invite you to come and be made clean because of Christ. Come this morning. Be made clean. Be made whole. Cleansed of every stain because looking to Christ. Again, as we sing this song, maybe you're divided. Maybe it's just wise for you to step outside just for a moment to have a conversation. To get things right. To forgive one another. That you might come to this table rightly examining this body. This is serious, beloved. This is serious this morning. And do you see now why it's so beautiful? Do you see how it causes us to seriously examine who we are in Christ? This is so significant about this table. It's our spiritual union with Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray today if anything that I have said or done that is contrary to Your Word, I pray, Father God, that You would reveal that to others, that they might show me, that I would not continue to stumble in wrong teaching. Father God, but I pray that whatever is true according to Your Word, Father, I pray that it would strike like that sharp sword that it is because You intend to cut to heal. So Lord, I pray You would use Your Word now to cause people to realize there needs to be a serious examination of their need of Christ and their unity with the body of Christ. Father, please help us as a church, not only get right and stay right, but help us get this right to the best of our ability. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. And Father, I pray now, as we prepare for this time, God, let each of us look to Christ. I pray it in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.